0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Don't you hate the traffic on the Kennedy Expressway? Well, you're in for a little more this spring. But forget about the future of the Kennedy. What about its past? I'm Sasha-Ann Simons, and this is Reset. A project to rebuild the busiest roads in all of Illinois, the North's Kennedy Expressway and the South's Dan Ryan, are going to see more traffic in the next few months. But did you know that their paths essentially cemented segregation of black and white communities here? The Kennedy first opened back in 1960. But its history and other highways around Chicago spans farther back. Construction of these roads holds a darker legacy of furthering segregation and even displacing residents. So to dig into that history, we turn to freelance journalist Susie Schultz. We also heard from Richard Cahan, journalist and author of Lost in America, photographing the last days of our architectural treasures. And Rich starts from the beginning, how this roadway system was first proposed.
2: Chicagoans started thinking about uh, roadways, highways back in the 1920s when the Plan Commission was trying to figure out how to deal with the new millions of people who were moving to Chicago. But it wasn't really until the 1950s when the federal government promised that they would pay 90% of what was uh, interstate highway system that the city got interested that they rolled up their sleeves and they figured out what to do.
1: Yeah, so so help us further contextualize this this 1909 plan. What was the motivation for the architects? Would you say?
2: Well, I think the motivation was that cars were coming to the city, and um, they understood that things had to change to accommodate cars and to make the great advantages of cars work. Without highways, cars would be stuck on you know arterial roads and have to stop every block. And so the idea of super highways that's what they called it then, uh, was really first thought about.
0: And um, they were also thinking about what they would call term blight. There was an overcongestion in the city. And so there was a desire for many people, especially people of wealth, We're going to move out to the country. We're going to be able to breathe. So how can we get people back and forth to the city? Because once money leaves downtown, too, or the downtown area, you want it to come back. You want people to be able to spend money. So they had all of these plans. They started in 1909. There was a 1927 Chicago Plan Commission report. There was 1940 Avondale Avenue improvement, and finally 1956 – all this federal money that went out to 180 different cities. Most cities were really dealing with that. How do we, we are over congested. There's dirt and filth. We didn't plan on the plumbing issues Mm -hmm. that many people together bring. Was this all part of the, the city beautiful movement city beautiful became a movement it was actually a term that a lot of cities i know in the midwest it was chicago and cincinnati were two of the cities that did it but yes how do we break out how do we make these places desirable for people to live in how do we deal with again the people who have moved here and basically how do we deal with poverty mm-hmm. how do we deal with people living on top of each other and um, and again since we always know we can go back to money to think about this, how do we make sure that those people who are making things a little messy don't leave, be, don't get rid of the money people so that we can have that coming downtown? You can see this in all sorts of plans that they start making. And the nice part about history is people didn't censor themselves about these things. Mm. You know, they wrote it straight out. And so it's fascinating. So even looking
1: back now, it's clear as day. Exactly.
0: What the plan was. Susie, what was the first highway for the city, and where did it lead? Um, that might be a Rich question. <laughs> I'm not sure about the first one. Rich?
2: Conceived and built in the 1950s and 1960s, but I'd say that the winner of the first highway would have been the Northwest Expressway, which is now known as the Kennedy. Yeah.
1: I want to fast forward to the the Federal Highway Act, right? What did that mean for Chicago and the nation more generally, I would love to hear from you both. Well, it really
2: Yeah, that out. was a plan that uh, former General Dwight Eisenhower, then President Eisenhower, conceived. Uh, he had seen the great highways in Germany, and he thought that it was important that the whole the entire country be connected by an interstate highway system. And uh, all three highways that I just mentioned—the Kennedy, the Dan Ryan, and the Eisenhower—were all part of this interstate highway system. Mm-hmm.
0: And so the, especially the, the many of these things when they were conceived, when Burnham conceived of them, right? They were almost like rays, rows going out like rays of the sun, straight lines out from the hub of the city. And so the Northwest side went along railroad tracks there. And most of these others, one, the South side was supposed to go along Indiana Avenue, but Mm -hmm. you know, as we all know, everything in Chicago is always political. And so um, the, the problems with the north and the west sides, also encompassed populations and already self-segregation. One of the hat tips I have to give is to Lee Bay, because the architectural critic at the Sun Time, mm-hmm. I heard him talk about this a number of years ago at IIT, when he was talking about race relations and segregation, and he really talked about in the, in the 1919 race riots, if you look at any of the photographs from that time, the race riots occurred, people crossing the street. Everybody was really together, Mm -hmm. right? Well, now you look at that same area, and there's this huge highway separating people Mm. and separating people of color from from people from other neighborhoods. Yeah, let's hear more about that.
1: Yeah, these systems of roads encouraged white flight. They boxed people of color at the same time into particular neighborhoods. Tell us more, Susie.
0: Well, we had you know the Great Migration is just um, uh, is. We barely had a black population here in the city of Chicago. And then we had a huge black population, which is, you know, actually a wonderful thing for the city. But as we know, at that time... Um, you know, race relations wasn't even an issue. It was more them and us type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was definitely, um, if you look at the way the, this, um, the highways are carved out, I think Lee is actually quoted in the story talking about how it almost moats around the, the city. But then you look down in the neighborhoods and, you know, um, the mayor at the time um, when this federal money came in was Mayor Richard M. Daly mayor richard right jay daly i'm so sorry whoops uh, the father as opposed to the son and uh um and he lived in bridgeport and so if you look at the workarounds and the way the highway snakes it's to really make sure that there is that separation built in physically mm. with the concrete so and in on the west side as well it caused um great disruption when the Eisenhower. and see that proves i'm a chicagoan because they didn't call it 290 right um, <laughs> that's true <laughs> the eisenhower cut through and then again with uic being built there as well it used to be there was the neighborhood the taylor was across the street the newspaper stand was across the street now it's across this huge division of um and it it disrupted neighborhoods neighborhoods that people who were in power, the white people who were in power thought well, that's okay mm.
1: yeah, say more about that rich as Susie mentions when the Dan Ryan got constructed it literally destroyed housing nearby. Some people had to move. Talk more about who was impacted and and how uh, the Dan Ryan still impacts the segregation of this city today
2: well, I think um if you look at the dan ryan that's the one that most uh contoured between different neighborhoods breaking bridgeport back of the yards canaryville on the west side of the dan ryan and basically bronzeville on the east side and as you look at it um it's not something that's based on any geographic or made effect in other words the Northwest highway was basically built along the Chicago Northwestern tracks. that's now called the Metro. Um, the Stevenson was built along the canal. Um, the Congress or what's now known as the Eisenhower was another highway system that was pretty straight, but was very careful of curving around neighborhoods to so, to separate them.
1: Mm-hmm. And the Eisenhower, I mean, it- it cut through West Garfield Park, which was predominantly Jewish at the time,
2: right, Susan? Yes, and Lawndale. And Lawndale.
0: And yeah. And <clears throat> so it was, again, it was, there was a no problem upsetting um, uh, of populations that weren't in the mainstream, that weren't considered in the mainstream, that weren't really white. Um, and so that was, you know, again anti-semitism and racism you know often go hand in hand and so you know displacing people you know it it, it really it didn't matter what was fascinating to me was there was a um, Arthur Rubloff um, uh, um, in it there's a paper that a guy named Roger Biles has brought out Um, he's a emeritus over at Illinois State University okay. downstate and he um, um, he and uh, his co-author a man named Rose did papers and wrote books about uh, some of the things that they found in the record. Arthur Rubloff was representing um, daily and how to beautify the downtown. Mm-hmm. And this is, <clears throat> pardon me, when the, when the when construction on the highways was going on in the 50s, 60s. And their thought was this: that this is okay if if the moneyed people are moving out. How do we bring them back in, maybe for them to get, come back for the ladies that lunch, to come have lunch, spend their money, drive in, feel safe, maybe have an apartment to stay with their lawyer, doctor, whatever husband, and pour money into the downtown? And then and that was part of a, a concerted plan. How do we bring them in and out so they don't go through any neighborhoods mm-hmm. that are blighted? They go sail right past them. And, uh, um, and again, as we know... It is all about money. And so to find that plan and to hear and to read some of that was just fascinating in the academic papers. Because, as they say, it wasn't considered a bad thing necessarily at that point. This was considered almost economic development. So it's just right out there mm-hmm. what the plan is.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was, I found it interesting in the, in the piece on The Sun-Times. Where uh, you quote Adam Susanek was the the New York uh, architect, and he says, "You know, along with other urban renewal projects on the south and west sides, eventually, uh, you know, it, it ended up displacing more than eighty one thousand people, yeah. the Dan Ryan. despite making up only twenty three percent of the total population of the city, sixty four percent of those displaced
0: were black." And I would really urge people to take a look at the website Segregation by Design. Um, He started this as an architecture student was his PhD project. And and he has continued it since. He's now in Denmark doing a second PhD on urban planning. And it's very rich. He, you know, automatically as a student... He just connected all the dots mm. um, very easily. And so he's done this segregation by design, and it focuses on not just Chicago and neighborhoods here, but a number of cities across the country and what that federal money did when it was poured into those cities yeah. in, in the 1950s. And So we're
1: clear, Rich, when did construction of the Kennedy Expressway begin? It began, I believe, in
2: 1953. 1953.
1: I mean— it, talk more about when you were going through these these sometimes archives what were some of the people living there saying
2: oh i think that they were resigned that the city was progressing that highways were needed they weren't pleased but they basically were ready to move to new localities they thought they were pretty treated pretty shabbily and paid pretty little for their property but i think that that's just Uh, something that's universal. That's what everybody feels when they have to leave. They feel like their neighborhood is worth more Mm -hmm. monetarily than it really is.
0: It was definitely, you know, where they lived, where they grew up, where they knew everybody and comfortable. But there was also a sense of incredulity because you know, as I list all these plans um, you know, people were planning on doing this. People were planning on doing this. Mm -hmm. So there's also a sense of they're not really going to do it. Um, And so there was a even though they did, as Rich said, leave, places, they actually, many people bought places that were a little too expensive for them mm-hmm. because they had to move to the suburbs, but many stayed really longer than they should have. They were just hopeful. That it wasn't going to happen and uh, um uh, and some there was going to be a last minute reprieve in some place so um i think some of the pictures that rich and michael um williams found are are amazing where you have people scrawled on there you know saying goodbye to the neighborhood across a building that's good, you mm. know set to be destroyed yeah um, so. right.
2: and, and in, rich in fairness in fairness so i have to say that the highways were pretty efficient they were located in efficient manners it's not like they curve very much they're pretty much straight lines and um, it's hard, it's impossible to imagine Chicago without the highways. In fact, uh, 30 years ago, I was involved, or I wasn't actually involved, but kind of watched an effort to build another expressway called the Crosstown Expressway, which would have connected the west side, it would kind of be a cross to the northwest expressway. And it would have been terribly traumatic for everybody, but it's awfully hard to drive from Evans Oak Park now.
1: Hmm. There were also reports of um, a wave of scrappers.
2: Can oh yeah! Tell us more. Oh, as the houses were coming down, there was incredibly valuable material: wood, roofing material, plumbing material, uh, even uh, there were reports of people's grass being rolled up and taken away. So sometimes we think that we are, uh, you know, a generation to to recycle, but obviously, when when scrapping was in the, the economic interest, it happened.
1: So we also have a a voicemail from from someone who got displaced by the construction of the Kennedy Expressway. He remembers being eight years old at the time that his family was forced out. Let's listen.
3: Jim Paskowitz here. I grew up about two blocks north of St. Stanislaus Kuska Church. It was an old Polish neighborhood where the only place a kid had to play was Kaziasco Park. Noble Street where we live was bridged over by the Northwestern Railroad Tracks. Definitely noisy, but fun for a young kid to watch trains rumble by yards away from a second-story window. When my parents told me we would have to move because our house was going to be torn down, it was upsetting to me, mainly because I liked the trains and the friends I made at St. Stan's School. I remember several conversations around the dinner table about where we would move. As soon as I saw the tavern across the street close and my friend's family next door move away, One day, my dad asked if I wanted to have some fun. He took me to an abandoned house at the end of the block where he said someone important lived. It was Dan Rostenkowski's house. We scrounged around for a while, and he told me about people who were breaking in and stealing stuff. But the best part was when he picked up a rock and asked me if I wanted to break a window Wow, an opportunity to do something bad with parental permission. I tossed it, the window broke, and we both celebrated. Dad said he deserved it for ruining the neighborhood. St. Stan's claimed to fame as standing up to the expressway builders, but I think old Dan had a lot more to say on how it got built. We soon moved northwest to Jefferson Park and St. Constance Parish, along with a few other Polish neighbors.
0: So
1: Jim's house was uh, was razed to the ground, but he, he lived near a church that was ultimately saved raising. Can you tell us the story behind that rich?
2: Well if, if you look at the Northwest Expressway carefully you'll see several curves and almost every one of the curves has to do with a important landmark that was which was designed around that landmark and Danislav Koska Church was the, was the heart of the Polish community at the time. And um, the alderman at the time, uh, Rostankowski was an alderman, and there was another alderman, convinced the city and they convinced the st- uh, road planners, the federal officials, to um, to go around the church. There's a lot of stories that we found out about the Northwest Expressway, which are really interesting. It was going to be a tollway starting around Peterson Avenue. Like Imagine you're going from downtown to O'Hare, and you get to— Peterson Avenue and the expressway branches off two ways, one going north up the Eons highway and the other one going northwest to O'Hare. Well, that was all supposed to be toll road, but um, but at the last moment they convinced state officials that it wasn't worth collecting money on this stretch of land, and I'm glad they did.
1: Mm. Well, you were listening to that, uh, that tape as well of Jim, yeah. Susie. What, what, what came to mind hearing uh, his story?
0: I think the thing I still keep going back to is the unevenness. Yeah. <clears throat> there was accommodation for things on the south side, on the west. I'm so sorry. There was accommodation for things like, say, Stanislaus, which still claims on its website were the, were the church that moved the highway. Um, uh, uh, but if you go down south, the... Um, I think it was just, I understand it's a fact of life, and it's the fact of life that moves us and that we now consider just normal. But when you look what it did, um, uh, again, this is a Lee Bay observation, and I think it's uh, just very accurate, is that you know, when you get off the highway on the north side, you feel like you've come into a community, there's the gas station, there's whatever, um, more often than not. But when you get off the highway on the south side, it doesn't feel that way. Mm. It feels as though there's abandonment. There's other, more likely than not on the um, exits there. Yeah. And so I think it really, the, the devastation here was incredibly uneven, I yeah. think. And, um, and while it is something that, you know, we owe a lot of money to in terms of commerce, in terms of what happens. Trucking is still an important business. Um, uh, it's, uh, um, I think in some ways, it's just a real big scar. Let's get a brief last word from you, Rich.
2: Well, it absolutely was. Um, it's interesting. I just did this book. It was mentioned called Lost America, which looks at cities that were demolished over the last 100 years. And the two great uh, um, villains against buildings were this uh, highway, highway. The interstate highway system was incredible. And this plan to sort of blight those two factors, or T's. But highways are important.
1: We've been talking with journalists Rich Cahan and Susie Schultz. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. This episode was produced by Max Lubers, and it was edited by Meha Ahmed and mixed by Brenda Ruiz. If you like this conversation, please consider leaving us a rating and subscribing. It helps listeners like you find our show. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk again this afternoon.